Welcome to AntimatterPod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing the Voyager fanfiction series Talking Stick Circle by Macedon and Peg Robinson, originally published in 1995. Long ago. This series is almost as old as my sister. Classic. I know. It's older than my daughter. Wow, yeah. So first I want to apologize to you because when I suggested that we do this two weeks ago, I had forgotten that the whole series comes to 300,000 words. Yeah, I will admit I did not read the whole thing. I I couldn't make it. But the last story alone is over 100,000 words. And that's that's like a novel. So yeah, I only read the the first three in the cycle this time, which are all less than ten thousand words. I have read the other three, but that was many many mm. years ago. I remember that they were very good, but yeah, I kind of like that the first three are the pre relationship. Yeah. So it's like before we get in, into any shippiness. I don't yes. know. I, there's like a line there. Fan fiction that is about a relationship is different from a fan fiction that is about a plot or a story or a character. Yeah, and this really felt like it was laying the groundwork for other things. And I do recall, like, the last fic in the series was not nearly remotely shippy enough for my taste at age 18. (laughs) Like, there's a big ensemble, there's a lot of original characters. It was the very first time I encountered two men who are married to each other in fiction. Oh. So... Yeah, I think we could certainly have talked about the last three. Maybe one day we will. But if nothing else, I feel like we can fill an hour just talking about these first three stories in the cycle. Yes. And how they set up the rest of it. Like, I think they really set up a a playground, I'm going to call it, so that someone else could come in and write about the story circle. Yeah. And... And it would be an homage plagiarism? No, I went through Usenet archives and people were doing that. And at some point, someone, I think, wrote a Chakotay Tuvok fic with these three stories as the background. And someone... Uh, that makes sense. Yes, yes. And someone <laughs> said to Macedon, are you okay with that? And Macedon seems like he was a very, very cool guy. And he was mm. like... I personally don't think Chakotay is gay, but I am very happy for this story to be out there. Mm. And he was a moderator at alt.startrek.creative. He was very much involved with the fandom until he left in 1997. He moved to Greece. He went offline. I can't find a single trace of him around anymore. I hope he's out there and I hope he's doing well because he seems like a stand-up guy. It's like a mystery now. Yeah. And Peg Robinson, his co-writer, she is out there. She's writing original works. She is on Patreon. I had to dig through her Patreon blog posts and she has very good opinions about Star Trek Discovery. So Good. Good to know. Good to know. In fact, her take on Discovery was that she had not really clicked with any Star Trek post the original series because she really liked the sense of danger and menace in a big cold universe where you're really, really lucky to be on a starship. 
because mm. everything else is unsafe. And she felt like Discovery restored that feeling and also interrogated the faults in the Federation. Very, very cool. Yeah. And yeah, I like to know that someone, you know, it's like, I guess I'm still in the fandom all these years later. So no, it's not no. crazy. <laughs> but it's also, I love to see people who had, you know, that level of notoriety to still be involved. It's like, it's great that she has opinions about Discovery at all, I guess is what I'm saying. No, I agree. And also, oh, going through Usenet, it was really fascinating. And I actually feel like this is a phase of Star Trek's history that has been lost. You know, we have the 60s, 70s, 80s with the zines and all of that. Mm. There are books written about the first conventions. And then it moved online. And because Honestly, the Usenet archives are on Google groups are really spotty. So much is lost and forgotten. It was fascinating to go through this early Voyager stuff and to frankly see how much racism there was around a black man playing a Vulcan. Ugh, I thankfully avoided that. Yeah. I mean, I've ranted before that I get upset that Tuvok is the least... Mm written about and like he doesn't have a fan following in the same way like you know how i've i've said that i was in jupiter station and there was the jc collective and there are so many but tuvok was absent from yeah he didn't have an online presence he didn't have a a fangirl association (laughs) that that and i always felt Uh, yeah it was lacking you know so i agree but blatant racism, mm. I, I didn't see. I curated my... Yeah. No. <laughs> As I do now, I curated my my fandom very specifically. Well, this was on rec.arts.startrek.something or other. And yeah. the big ones, I just didn't even go to. The, the same way I don't go to Reddit now. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I don't need to see it. So I, I like my niche. <laughs> I just found it really interesting that this was a moderated space, the same as the Star Trek subreddit is now, and yet the level of discourse that was permitted and accepted and considered perfectly reasonable has really, really changed, and for the better. Like, so many people who liked Tuvok and liked his casting were making jokes about him being a rapper, you know, Tuvok Shakur, that sort of thing, which simply wouldn't fly these days. Uh, I know, I know. It actually reminded me a little of Star Wars fandom when the Force Awakens trailer first came out and the Stormtrooper takes off his helmet and you see that he's John Boyega. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was rough. It's still rough. Oh, yeah. Star Wars fandom is not a happy place. (laughs) And certainly the blatant, like, John Mm. Boyega speaks and and he gets yelled at by some of these people and and they were and they're always like i'm not a racist it's just that stormtroopers are white and they always have been and it's like i guess their armor is but like first of all even the clone troopers aren't white so i know get over it and move on it made me think that as much as star trek still has a racism problem in fandom we really have been pushed forward in a way that Star Wars wasn't. And I don't want to say that anyone who is racist about Sonequa Martin-Green is a troll, but I think that 
a lot of that attitude has been encouraged by the fandom menace, the elements within Star Wars fandom and Gamergate and all of that that have created an acceptable outlet for racism. Anyway, the reason I'm talking about Tuvok is that Macedon started out as a really big Vulcan fan. Most of his fic is actually about Vulcans. And then Voyager came along and as a Native American man, he was, let's say, a little unimpressed with the writing for Chakotay. I mean, and not as a Native American man, I'm <laughs> Right. So I want to say that I feel like that has also evolved Yes. I remember, I was unimpressed with Chakotay way back when, but, like, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman was big at the same yeah. time kind of thing. And so it wasn't like they're doing natives wrong. It was just like, I don't like this character. Is there something wrong with it? Whereas now I'm like, wow, everything about this character is just mishandled. And, and to be honest, same with... Dr. Queen Medicine Woman, it's like, mm. wow, that was an interesting choice that you made. And I love mm. that show. Like, I obsessively loved that show, but Same. it is painful to watch now in no. every way. Like, all of the people of color are just really, really not, it's not cool. And mm -hmm. I feel like we're able to say that now. And, like, I can critique and say... You should always have native people, like not just in your series. If you're going to have a native person in your series, you have to have a team of people. Yeah. Like, again, I am not in this ethnicity in any way, but the whole thing with the tribes. Yeah. Like, I think the fact that they purposefully didn't give Chakotay a tribe, but what it ends up being is nothing like you're putting on the costume of a native american you're not respecting the reality yes. of it in any way yes and so if you want to have like someone be a, a non-specific tribe at the very least you have to have like a diverse team of people mm. from m multiple tribes working together to create it. Yes. Allow me to read the end note for the first fic in this series, Talking Stick. The above story was conceived in something of a peak after watching initiations. I get tired of the Hollywood plastic medicine man. I thought at time a native voice was heard speaking for a native character. I gave him a background and nation since no one else seemed inclined to do so and I have endeavoured to present something authentic as a counterbalance to the amorphous bit of this bit of that throw it in the stew Native American spirituality we've seen. Exactly. I'm often very sceptical about claims that fandom is so progressive and I don't want to discount the significance of adding romance and domesticity to narratives that overlook them, but sometimes I think we give ourselves a little too much credit. But this is truly transformative work at its best. It's almost doing the opposite of what Star Trek Continues was doing in terms of a person... It's, cor it's correcting the, yes. the issues. Yes. It's not continuing, haha, yeah. them. There are a few different author's notes, and also, mm. like, even in the text, he talks about, like, as Chakotay, he talks about the experience of a native man amongst non natives. Yeah. And that's a perspective that I 
can never have. It's just really refreshing to see in fan fiction. I think, well, you said that it's the best kind of transformative work. I think that that is true because it's not like I love all of fan fiction and I love all alternate universes like every coffee shop AU is the best but <laughs> taking assassins and giving them a coffee shop is not transforming the it's it's a different kind of transformation this is I'm taking something that is important to myself and I'm putting it into this story to to f solve the problems that I as this uh, you know as this type of person see within it yes and it's also a really good set of stories uh, I should say the premise of this this series is that early in their voyage home Chakotay encounters Tuvok preparing an Indian subcontinental meal and they share a conversation and a meal for the first time since Tuvok's betrayal and they talk about the value of stories and this leads Chakotay to begin a talking circle where the crew come together and pass the talking stick and tell a story that's important to them. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's sad, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's a tall tale. And the tension in the story is between Chakotay and Tuvok who have this history and also Chakotay and Janeway because Janeway is very conscious of her role as captain and of Chakotay's rather precarious position as first officer and marquee leader and so she's very reluctant to join and when she finally does that gives rise to a new conflict. So Macedon wrote the first story Talking Stick and that's just Chakotay and Tuvok and the beginning of the circle. And then Peg Robertson wrote the sequel, Circle, which is from Janeway's perspective. And then we come again to Chakotay's perspective in A Cherished Alienation. And then they went on. <laughs> and my understanding is that they switch back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Perspectives and authors, which is also, I like that Peg wrote Janeway. Yeah. I should also, I, I want to mention that this is written in the first person. Yes. Because I think that is a very deliberate choice. I That agree. really puts you into the headspace, like literally, of these characters. And it can be done really poorly. Yes. And I know that first person is not always popular in fan fiction. Well, I think because it can be done really poorly. And it's also, you know... A lot of like Twilight and Hunger Games and stuff are first person. Mm. It's sort of associated with YA and carries that yeah. stigma. And, right. and also reader fic where the I in the first person is you and you're being mm -hmm, tenderly mm -hmm. made love to by a fictional character. It's right, not right. my thing. With... Super <laughs> not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's interesting and this is none of those things. This is not YA and it's not like they're definitely very adult especially Chakotay mm. again I just don't really like Chakotay's character never really gelled with me I know I liked him in relationship to Janeway but he never quite stands on his own yeah but he never quite stands on his own but this he's still recognizably Chakotay but he is more complete yes like there just has more of a character and the 
So the voice was just, it was really, I don't, I don't know how to explain, but it, I, I felt like I understood where he was coming from as a person. And I could almost, like, I don't want to say relate because it was not quite right, but I felt like I was getting his perspective. And I think that I might not have gotten that same if it wasn't in first person. I think it put me in the mindset yeah. of being sort of open to that. I felt all of that, but I also think I could hear Robert Beltran's voice reading this. Hmm. And that is such a hard thing to capture in fan fiction, and especially, especially Chakotay. Janeway's voice is much easier. I think Peg does an outstanding Janeway, but I know lots of writers who can write a great Janeway and very few who can write a good Chakotay. Right, which is, you know, I'm not necessarily going to drop that on the feet of the writers. I think it's no. the showrunners. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the, the, it's the original canon that mess up Chakotay and make it hard. I agree. And yet I read the first paragraph and I want to read it out loud, but I know that I won't do a good job because when I read these words, I hear them in Robert Beltran's voice. But the mm. story opens, I want to call here the ancestors. I want to call here the ancestors of my people. They're in my heart. I carry them with me. Their hands are on my back when I talk. They keep me from falling. I think of them often here where the only soil from the land of my birth is that held in a bag which Starfleet regulation does not permit me to carry. That's just... It tells you what this story is, who it is about, and what it is going to do. Mm-hmm. It's... I'm just very impressed. Like, I, I wish I could. I wish I could write this well. <laughs> I'm one of those that can't write a good Chicote. Yeah, I I write a passable Chicote, <laughs> but he's not. Like, and I, but I think it's partly because I I can't get into his headspace. Like I I have I especially when I first started writing fan fiction, which was around Voyager time. Mm. My oldest Tom Paris fic. Mm. it was all Jamie Paris is written in the first person as Tom Paris and like I felt capable of doing that and it's the only I I only carried over two of my Voyager stories from you know Voyager times when it was on television Mm. I only put two of those stories on AO3 because they're mostly terrible. Yeah. And these ones are like very my first fan fiction, but I'm also like still super proud of my Tom Paris voice <laughs> in that one and like how I just understood Tom Paris in a, in a way, I guess, and I felt like, you know, bringing it out, you know, putting it out into the ether so that other people could see it too and I can't ever imagine doing that with Chakotay. No. And now I wish that I could do a story circle, you know, redux, but I don't think I could, I, I don't, still don't think I could do it. I would not be able to write this and, and I wouldn't want to try and mess it up. No, that's the thing. And I think it's important <clears throat> to note that Peg never writes from Chakotay's perspective. Right. That's back in the, I was starting to say, I liked the choice that they made that uh, Macedon would write the Chakotay stories and that Peg would write the Janeway stories and that they were being sort of, you know, this is from my perspective. Yeah, like, 
Yeah. So. There's a concept in publishing and book fandom called own voices, which is often mm-hmm. misused. You get mm-hmm. a lot of people bullying authors into revealing their queer identity before they're ready. But I do think that there is a lot of value in the idea that a story told from the perspective of one with lived experience of an identity is going to be different and maybe more important and more valuable than someone else's attempt to write themselves into that identity. And I think this is an own voices fic. Yes, this is definitely an own voices fic. And I think that's what I like best about it is that it is still recognizably Chicote, mm. but it's also like, it just takes Chicote to the next level. Yeah, yeah. I like Tuvok as well. I did not think Macedon's Tuvok was as good as Peg's. Yeah. But you know why? I think it's related because I think that Peg was more in Janeway's. She oh. was seeing Tuvok from Janeway's eyes, whereas Macedon was seeing Tuvok from Chakotay's eyes. Oh, that's brilliant. And so I think that. I think it's related. I think that mm. if you're in Janeway's mind, Tuvok is your best friend. Yeah, and he's a cool, low-key, funny guy. Whereas to Chakotay, Tuvok is very stiff and very formal and not really someone whose words you can depend upon. Right. But I think that neither of them wrote Tuvok as well as they did the other. No, I agree. But I also think Tuvok is just a really hard character he's to write. Hard. Like... More than any other Vulcan, because he is the most Vulcan. Right. Yeah. And th- and the thing is that the funny, sarcastic, family-oriented, like, mm-hmm. all of that is what makes him the most Vulcan, you know? It's like all the other Vulcans are trying not to be that. Yeah. Tuvok is very comfortable in his Vulcanness, And he just is Vulcan, and that's part of it. And it must be said that Tuvok is no more consistently written on the show than any other character. So I think maybe especially in this early point in the series, you know, they're writing in season two, then I I think that their Tuvok probably seemed a lot closer to canon than the guy I'm thinking of in season four. Mm, Maybe. (laughs) Oh, Voyager. We love it because it makes us work. I've reached the part of season three in my photocapping where it's like, I don't remember these episodes at all. (laughs) Have I seen these episodes? I don't know. Like, there's just three in a row now. I've just been like, I guess I saw this before. (laughs) I I don't remember a single thing. Like, season three Voyager is really a mess. It is is just not memorable or, like... Season one was pretty strong. Season two was crazy, wacky, out there. Like, it didn't always hit, but it was always sort of swinging, you know? Mm. And so then season three is just so bland. Like, nothing is happening. I always think that I like season three, and then I watch it and I go, maybe I only like bits of season three. But I'm I'm into Voyager now, and I'm into the run of episodes between Year of Hell and The Killing Game. Which means I'm coming up to retrospect. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah. Lucky you. We love it, but it's maybe not the best Star Trek. I mean, it depends on how you define best. <laughs> <laughs> 
I certainly remember it was season six when I read this series of fic for the first time and I was 18 and I'm pretty sure that the last one in the series, The Rose and the Yew Tree, I think it's called, was the first time that I stayed up past midnight reading someone else's fic. And yet I was, I was very judgy of it for being so... Well, on the one hand, I was kind of like, none of this is canon. But also I was deeply (laughs) impressed that this was like Janeway Chakotay shipping pre-resolutions. I really do love that they saw so much in the first season and a few episodes of of Voyager. And I really loved in the second story, the Janeway story, the scene with Tom and her in Sandrine's. And I was wondering what you as a Janeway Paris shipper... (laughs) I mean, that was like catnip, right? Uh, yeah, because yeah. that's the thing. As much as I am constantly talking about how I'm a Janeway Paris shipper, like just their relationship at all mm. is is what, like the, the fic I mentioned earlier, my first person, is not shippy. He's with Belana. It's not a romance. It's just Janeway is the person who will understand what I need in this moment. Yeah. My first fic that I finished and posted was just about Q watching Janeway and Chakotay dance and thinking that he could never be as good for her as Chakotay. And it was a song fic and I had lyrics from a Savage Garden B-side like interspersed through the action. So I, wow. I think your fic is a lot better. I love that though. That's so sweet. It's just so sweet. It's just so something. Now, come on. You just said you were eighteen, or uh, so I was. Like... I was sixteen when I wrote that. Yeah, fic. you were sixteen. <laughs> that's that's a sixteen-year-old's fanfic, and it's great and valid, and I love it. So there. Thank you. <laughs> but yes, Catherine and Tom. Right. So what I liked is that it played on all the things I like about their relationship, mm. which is that they're actually super similar. And, like, that's why Tom is so devoted to her, because she's like what he could be if he tried hard enough. And she believes that. I mean, that's the Janeway promise, right? Janeway believes in all of her people. Yes. Even even when they don't. Yes. And that's why they're all in love with her. Pretty much. And then, like, the shared history with his dad, they really sad and angry backstory Mm -hmm. that she gave tom and his dad janeway looks up to admiral paris you know and that's very canon she considered him a mentor and has all very warm feelings for admiral paris whereas tom is like he wasn't your dad, and he was abusive to me all the time, and he never looked at me the way you do in that yeah, I believe in you way. Yeah. I was always a disappointment of, you know, he wanted his perfect Starfleet kid. He didn't want me. Yeah. And this particular fic really leans into that where Tom, like, disavows her of her belief in his father and his yes! life. Yes! He was pretending all along. He did that to all of his little you know, mentees, especially the cute girls. And I was just like, this is amazing. I know. So good. So, so yeah, I was very, very into that. I think from a cynical 2021 perspective, I am not even surprised at the suggestion that actually Admiral Paris had a whole string of cute, young, bright-eyed female protégés. 
that he taught how to be like him mm. <clears throat> and only trust him. That was the thing. Like, yeah. to, to purposefully isolate by, you know, saying, I see your potential to be a leader, but in order to be a real leader, you have to keep everyone else at arm's length. Except me. Yeah, course. yeah. And I was just like, that's some, like, Palpatine stuff going on there. That's amazing. So it's just really into it. And it's such a, a toxic uh, sort of power structure, which I think ties into this whole series, very jaundiced view of Starfleet and the Federation, where, <laughs> you know, they assign Chakotay a legal first name because the system is literally not set up for humans with only one given name. Yikes. Yeah, it's like Chakotay gets the microaggressions and Janeway gets groomed to perpetuate them. So obviously I'm a white woman, <laughs> so take this with a grain of salt. But my surname as a child was Debor, D-E-B-O-E-R, but was with a small d and a capital B. Ah, like the Debor. Exactly like Nicole DeVore, and I, my brother would tell people we were related. I was about to ask. Yep. <laughs> we're not. But no. He, he was, he would, people would believe it because it's sort of a weird name, right? It's an uncommon Especially name. with the, the spelling. But anyway, so I went and they couldn't, like I went to orientation or whatever. It was middle school and they couldn't find me in the D's. I just wasn't there. Mm. Uh, and yes. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be here. And so they looked through everything and they found that because the computer couldn't figure out that a lowercase d was still a d, it threw me to the end. So it was like, oh. after the z's, that's where I got put in lowercase. Wow. And the school was like, you know, so this doesn't happen again. We're going to change it to a capital D. And I was like, no. That's that's my name. You can't just decide that your spelling is better than my spelling because your computer isn't smart enough. Mm. And so I refused. So then like through high school, my homeroom and stuff was with the, you know, W, <laughs> X, Ys. You were infiltrating the end of the alphabet. <laughs> so the idea, the idea mm. that Starfleet, a quote unquote utopian society, would force him to have a first name is just i can't handle it i feel like i'm that 11 year old again being told that i don't i don't exist because the systems don't know how to deal with it that i think is exactly how chakotay how Chakotay's academy experience goes and it happens these days you know facebook's real name policy doesn't admit certain names, computers still struggle with people who only have one name and no surname. And the idea that this persists into the 24th century, the great utopia, is super depressing. And yet, because we've watched Voyager, we don't really know that it's impossible. Yeah, it's super depressing. But that's the thing. That's why yeah. when you said earlier that people think that they're more progressive than they are, Mm. You know, the Roe Laren thing where I'm not Ensign Laren, I'm Ensign Roe. That's a real thing yes. in the real world. Yes. I have had that issue, again, with the stupid computers at mm -hmm. my school that I have to input it wrong. <laughs> I have to switch it around 
yeah on my end like a person has to do it in order for the computer to follow along and it's just like it shouldn't be this way speaking of ensign Rowe, i was thinking of her in the line where chakotay is not allowed to carry the bag of soil from his homeland because of the whole thing where bajorans sort of have to earn the right to wear their earring through good behavior (sighs) like this is such a response to star trek in the 90s like part of it is, you know, especially with the Bajorans and with Chakotay mm. in this passage, it feels like a whole, you know, religion doesn't belong in my Star Trek kind That's of thing. It. That's it. Like, and you know, it's like my utopia mm. <laughs> would just allow people to have whatever belief system that they want to have and culture and rituals it's just like how is there is no god a utopia exactly I and I, I don't get it <laughs> this series doesn't just return Chakotay's culture to him but it adds other religions to the mix as well and there's a mention of the characters Jin Charel and Haim Anelovitz I just said that I would practice people's names. But they're a Bajoran and a conservative Jew and a couple. And you'll notice that the Bajoran doesn't actually have a gendered name. And this is from the era when people had to warn for Slash. There is a lot of queerness in this Het series. Like, just casual queerness. I'm pretty sure at some point the married men adopt a baby. Right, and and it, it's not about any of that. They're just mm. creating a society where that is. Right. I love original characters. I know that's yeah. like a, a, it's another thing that you're not supposed to have in your, in your fanfic. I but... mean, we've discussed my feelings on Mary Sue's. The only bad Mary Sue is a badly executed Mary Sue. Right. At the first chapter of the third one, mm. where it's the like young Chakotay and his friends, yes. and one is like a part Vulcan, like I think his grandfather maybe was Vulcan or something, and I was like, I want to know everything about yes. this, this person. <laughs> I want to know his family tree, I want to know how it all happened, I want to know how he was raised. Like, and it was not important, but it just got me thinking about all of these things, and I loved that. No, no. So... I'm like, if there's a conservative Jew on Voyager, like, is Neelix's cooking kosher? How do they practice their religion? Do they do services with the reformed Jews on the ship? I absolutely know that somewhere out there is a Trekkie rabbi who will answer these questions for us, if they haven't already. And probably two more Trekkie rabbis to disagree with the first one's answers. <laughs> that, was, that was great. But I'm interested See, in these people's <laughs> lives. And like, right. if you're a Catholic in Starfleet, is there dispensation to attend a different denomination's services? How do they take the Eucharist? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of rituals, even in, like, Episcopalians. Yeah. And that... that you know, the only people who've gone through a certain amount of training and are, like, blessed in a certain way are allowed to even go into the room to get the wafers. My grandmother was one of them, and so I know all of this, and I wasn't allowed to go... Like, I had to wait in the doorway while she was doing her thing to get all of the communion ready. And so 
I'm certain that it can't be replicated, right? I mean, you can't even make gluten-free Eucharistic wafers in Catholicism, which, by the way, I think is bullshit, but... And, and the thing is that I think that a vocal part of the fandom doesn't want to ask these questions. Yeah. And even part of the powers that be, they don't want to address it because there's this weird thing where like religion like science fiction is so religious okay yes spock is literally jesus anyone who thinks that science fiction is a religious they're just wrong because it's super related mm. to all of these questions of souls and the afterlife and how people relate to each other and like there's just so much that is about religion and is like a response to religion that it's really weird that at the same time all of those same people the people who are writing it and the people who are reading it and engaging with it and watching it are very wary of religion i think that's partially out of a desire to avoid giving offence. And we know that Star Trek V really painted itself into a corner in that respect. But <laughs> certainly in terms of film science fiction, it's very hard to do. And even in books, like I'm reading The Relentless Moon by Mary Robinette Kowal, and I have a lot of issues with it, but one is that the religions seem to be very pasted on, yay. There's mm. a scene where all the Christians on the moon attend a service led by Buzz Aldrin because it's an alternative history and Aldrin is a Presbyterian and he gives out the the communion wafers and I actually I I'm very embarrassed I thought Aldrin was Catholic and I was really horrified by this scene because he can't just give out the Eucharist to anyone and not <laughs> anyone can give out the Eucharist I was corrected on that point and I'm very sorry that I ranted at my friend for so long before she got a word in but then I was like well what are the Catholics doing and what are the Orthodox Catholics doing and what are the different types of Orthodox right. Catholics doing because there are lots of us and we all hate each other yeah 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 so this is related to because I was just saying oh why isn't there more religion in my Star Trek and then I was hearing the little voice in my head that was like but Annika you hated New Eden <laughs> and, and, but the problem with New Eden was the same problem with Chakotay, and I wrote this into our notes, is that just saying all of it is great and we're all yay is like, that's not respectful to anything. You're just mm. saying that it's, you're, you're calling it like, yeah, the Catholics and Protestants are the same. And so yay, we're done. And they also happen to be the same as Jews and Muslims and mm. Wiccans. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you didn't even have me at Catholics and Protestants. So you definitely don't have me at the Muslims and Wiccans. It's just like, no, you don't seem to know what any of this actually means. There are similarities, of course. Everything is based in the same sort of idea, but they're not the same. What I'm saying, how it's related to Chakotay, is you can't just say, he's Indian. Mm. <laughs> like, that, no, he's not an American Indian. Where is he from? What is his ancestry? What does he believe in? Where, how, you know, yeah, yeah. Where, what would he answer if you asked him? Like, 
you can't just say I'm a native when we're all great. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing. And certainly Macedon's solution is, oh gosh, I've lost the beginning. Uh, his father was Potawatomi and his mother was Hopi and Navajo right. and of Nemepu, Nemepu heritage, the people misnamed Nez Perce. I'm sorry, I don't really know how to pronounce Native American nations. I've only recently learned how to pronounce Sioux. Mm. Anyway, and, and so I think giving him a very mixed heritage is a very good solution to a problem that shouldn't have existed. Right. Like, that's saying I am all of these things because my ancestors are all of these things. It's yes. not saying I am all of these things because they're the same. <laughs> yes, and I think at some points in the stories, he says, you know, my father's family would do it this way and my mother was raised to do it this way. And obviously, you know, indigenous cultures do evolve with the times and an Aboriginal Australian practice now is not the same as it was 200 years ago. Nothing about society is the same. We have evolved as a people very rapidly in the most recent, yes, you know, 200 to 500 years as opposed to before then. Right. And one of the things that I do like about Chakotay's culture as it's depicted on screen is that, you know, they show that his people have developed technology to replace, for example, hallucinogenic drugs. Not because mm. I think hallucinogenic drugs are inherently bad, but because I think that's something that would happen you know if mm-hmm. you have the technology to avoid it then some people are going to use it and others will do it the traditional way and, and that was cool I, I was intrigued to notice that macedon r- really liked tattoo the episode tattoo wait okay so tattoo is the one where the aliens planted native americans mm-hmm. okay just making sure I knew which one yeah, you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. He wrote on the 15th of November 1995, I promised a review of the episode from a native point of view. For the first time, I find that I don't have any real gripes to make about the Native American element. My gripes are more general. No less gripes, but I wasn't gritting my teeth at Plastic Medicine Man. Macedon's final note on this episode really broke my heart. Please tell me they finally hired a native consultant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Macedon. Yeah. They had one all along and he was a white man. Oh, dear. I mean, and, you know, that's just one of those really sad tales where they tried. They... But they, they don't get a gold star for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry. You don't get a you tried star because it was just that bad. I mean, it was known since 1984 that Jamaica Highwater was actually a white man named Jackie Marks. So, yeah. Like, why do people do these things? And why do they somehow get into these positions of quote-unquote power? I don't know. Like, how? How does it happen over and over again? Like, it's sort of a thing happening in Canada at the moment. Several prominent Aboriginal Canadians have been revealed to be white people. And, like... It doesn't really happen in Australia, and in fact, it's basically a far-right-wing dog whistle to imply that someone who is known as an Aboriginal person is really white. So I have trouble reading the discourse, like, through gritted Mm. teeth. But it seems like there's 
a level of social cachet in being Native American that there is not yet in being an Aboriginal Australian. Which is terrible. Like, it's bad either way. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just don't. Yeah. Just don't. I mean, here I am pretending that I know stuff, but... uh... I just don't have... I am not imaginative in that way, where, like, I can't... As someone who, like, crafts Mm. my personality, and I don't just mean, like, my online persona or my public persona, it's like, I craft who I am to myself, who I am inside my head. I think about and and create a story for. No, no, that makes sense. You, You build yourself a narrative. But it's not a narrative right. the way you're stealing someone else's narrative. Right. And I cannot, like I said, I'm not imaginative enough to do that because I, I can't lie to myself that way. Like, I just, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I don't think that I could pull it off. It's like, I have imposter syndrome already. <laughs> it's just so weird. It's just so <laughs> strange. Like, why would she do that? And what would you possibly mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. that you would bring to it? And But the thing is that, like, this guy got hired as a native consultant, so, like, it worked out for him. He earned a lot of money. He won a prestigious award for his book that he wrote pretending to be Native American. It's like Rachel Dolezal and her leading the NAACP. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, what? How? Like... <laughs> But don't you feel bad? Anyway. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to point out, like we were talking about how fans don't want a lot of religion in their Star Trek. And to be honest, I've seen arguments that even the extremely shallow and poor depiction of Chakotay's religion is too much for Star Trek. Too much religion. Mm. Too much. Okay. And uh, obviously I disagree. And I I know we've talked about this, but I think it's a real shame that the depiction of Chakotay has sort of poisoned the well to an extent in terms of indigenous representation on Star Trek. Yes, it's a real problem. And the thing is that, you know, I've said that I never loved Chakotay, Mm. but now it's just really hard. I wish he wasn't there. And I'm no. listening to The Greatest Generation I was and just Chakotay. And I'm just like, I am so pleased that you agree with me on this, but it's just making my distaste, you know, build into a fervor. <laughs> like, yeah. why? And now there's people who are clamoring for Janeway and Chakotay to be in Picard or whatever, or even Seven and Chakotay mm. to be in Picard. And I'm just like, no, I never need to see Chakotay again. Like, no, I don't care. No. I don't care. Una McCormack (laughs) finishes the autobiography of Catherine Janeway with a hint that leaves the path open to Janeway Chakotay shippers, and that is all I need. That crumb is delicious, and I do not want another bite. And I certainly don't believe for a moment that Robert Beltran will ever return to Star Trek. I do not believe that he is the source of the wedding ring on Seven's finger in the Picard trailer. That's just absurd. Like, people just need to let it go. People need to understand that the Chakotay 7 relationship was not endgame. I know that's like against the title and all. 
<laughs> However, it was not Endgame, and then just let it go. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and I am someone who is fine with the relationship having happened. Imagine if people were still this upset because Worf and Deanna aren't together. Right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, How I kind of get married to Jadzia <laughs> when he was clearly still dating Deanna? And how could Deanna marry Will Riker when she was clearly still with Worf? I mean, I could actually kind of see them all as like a, I don't want to say a swingers situation, but like with an arrangement. <laughs> anyway, probably not Worf. He's very uptight. He'd have to be talked into it. But I think Worf and Riker would be a great pairing. Aww. But they're already BFFs. Aww. I'm a, I would, I'm want more Worf content. I don't want more Chakotay content. Yeah, I would really love to have Worf come back. And I've yeah. got enough Riker. Like, I, I love Riker, I love Jonathan Frakes, but we can now give some of those crumbs yes. to someone else. Please. I know we've said this, but I want Worf captaining the Enterprise, and Esri is his first officer, and Esri. they're friends. That's all I want. Yes, mm. exactly. It would be so good. It would be yeah. so good. I love and it. And Chakotay's not in it, but they introduce it. a new Indigenous character and employ Indigenous writers and cultural consultants and give that character a meaningful arc. Anyway. I'm, I'm... We ask for so much. We really do. We need to like make a list of everything we've suggested that I Star mean, Trek do... does and then send it to them so they can start oh. knocking things off it. <laughs> But they do have, like, ten shows going on. Like, there's just so many shows. There's, right. there's possibilities for this. It's not crazy to, to say, you know what would be good is is making up for that whole Chakotay mess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look at Rutherford Falls. This seems to be the beginning of a new and exciting period for Native American representation in popular culture. And it would be a real mm -hmm. shame for, for Star Trek to be left behind. Not to be constantly bringing up Dick Wolf. <laughs> but in FBI Most Wanted, there are multiple indigenous characters. See, that is genuinely impressive. Like a part of the plot. And so, you know, it's just sad that once again, the Dick Wolf universe is doing better. Guys, this is embarrassing. We need to step up our game. The Law and Order fans are laughing at us. Yeah. My final thoughts on this are just, you know, read it mm. for yourself. It's really an interesting look at two things. One, early Voyager fandom. Mm-hmm. And two, how fan fiction can critique the canon in a positive way. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like this is an important story and also an entertaining one. And I think that is such a hard skill and such a challenging thing to pull off. It's literally a story about people telling stories and yet it doesn't feel mm. preachy. And there's a note, I think it's in the second one maybe, or maybe at the end of the first one. There's a note that's basically like, we know this doesn't line up with canon <laughs> and so, like and we're not going to apologize for that but if you just think of it as an alternate timeline mm. you'll be fine which is the way i read all fan fiction yes i read that and thought ah annika is on board 
Yeah, exactly. But that's it. That's all you have to do. In this universe, Tom Paris's dad's name is also Tom. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. The end. <laughs> that's all you need to know. So, especially if you're someone who either loves Chakotay or who, like me, doesn't understand why Chakotay is even on the show. Yeah. If you're yeah. one of those extremes, this is for you. Oh, look, because I read this right after the Greatest Generation episode on initiations came out, I almost dropped a link to the fic in the, the Facebook group. And I still might, <laughs> because I feel like this fic is old enough to vote and it's old enough to drink in the US and it's still worth reading. <laughs> Especially if you found Voyager on Netflix after watching Orange is the New Black, you know? Like, yeah. If you're a, I didn't grow up with Voyager, I'm experiencing it now from a 2020s mm. perspective, you know, it'll help. It'll, it'll make you feel a little better. The same way I enjoy reading zines from the 70s, I think new fans might enjoy reading fic and even Usenet posts from the 90s. Because it's a part of our, not culture, but our past. It's a part of our past. It's a part of our fanish beginnings. I feel like fandom history, quote unquote, mm. hasn't gotten to the 90s. Like people aren't writing, they might be doing presentations on it, but they're not up to the writing books about it because it's still, you know, it's like, oh, it still that feels was, like that, that was last, you know, it was like 10 years ago. It's like, oh, it was like, yeah, you know, not 10 yeah. years ago. It was like more like 30. But I actually think it's a mistake to look at, for example, the fandom menace and fandom racism now without also looking at the way people behaved in the 90s and yes. the way norms have changed and also the way some of the people who were trolls then are still around now and still yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. doing their thing. I think that it explains the fandom menace. Like, the, the thing is that back then you could say the things that they say and mm. you wouldn't be called out for it whereas now everyone's like hey that's wrong and they just get more angry i will say like i read one of the why are there no lgb characters in star trek threads from 95 and <laughs> it was a very unpleasant conversation and there were a lot of people saying homophobic things but the guys who were using slurs and being uncivil as well as offensive were banned and i think it's a sign of how fandom's discourse has evolved, that just being homophobic in a polite way is no longer acceptable, but also society has evolved. Mm. Society mm. has evolved and we talk about it more. I have a very strong recollection of, I started a Him Kess archive Aww. with a, a, another young woman and right before launch, I found out that the reason she wanted to create it was because Harry and Tom thick was the most popular and it made her ill. Oh. Because she was raised oh, against that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it never launched because I was <laughs> like, okay, bye. I'm, yeah. I'm, okay. She was, I'm going to say five years younger than me. So yeah. at that time... I felt like, oh, like I was in early college and she was in high school and I was like, I am the adult. And so I am going to, to help you. I'm going to introduce you to the wonders of homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did the right thing. I really tried, but no, she stopped talking to me and then oh. I didn't make the archive. And mm -hmm. that was the end of that story. I sort of like hope that she began. She was young and she was 
like not to be a stereotype she had a very relig- religious upbringing yeah. like an evangelical upbringing oh god and so i hope that she grew up I, I feel like she, chances are good that she did. Like, I grew up in a very conservative Catholic household and I was raised with a lot of homophobic beliefs and I was a very homophobic person. And part of what helped me learn better was being in fandom and reading fix like this series where queer people are just there. And mm-hmm. if nothing else, it was a way to sort of get my initial homophobic response out of the way without affecting other people. You know, there were conversations that only took place in my head. Thank God. So maybe this was ultimately a long, slow wake-up call for that girl. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at @antimatterpod. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And feel free to give us a shout out. Yes! Join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the TOS episode, Is There in Truth No Beauty? As a tie-in to Star Trek Prodigy. Wait, is it is there no truth in beauty? I can't Is remember. there in truth no beauty? I looked huh. it up. I changed it in the thing because it was wrong. Okay, so I've been wrong about that for 30 years. <laughs>